Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bull and Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull and Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull and Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping, returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bull and Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull and Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code Ben at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull and Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code Ben. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. Senator Jeff Flake from Arizona says that President Trump is Stalinesque in his approach to the press. The Democrats continue to go biz bizarrely insane over President Trump's bleephole comments. Plus, we may be about to find out what President Trump is like down there. And I'm not talking about his hands. Oh, God, no. Please, God, no. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> Yes, indeed, the Daily Beast is now reporting that Stormy Daniels, she of the 180 IQ and the presumably large breasts, and she's a porn star, she apparently had an affair with President Trump back in 2006, and now they are going to run a 5,500-word interview with her about her sexcapades with Trump. We'll discuss the impact of this and just scream no over and over and over and then try to gouge out our eyes before this interview can come out. But before we do any of those wonderful things, first we're gonna say thank you to our sponsors over at ZipRecruiter because once my eyes are actually out of my head, I can no longer read advertisements. So we'll make sure that we read the ads before I actually gouge my eyes out of my head. So ZipRecruiter is the place that you wanna go if you need to recruit better help, if you need better people working at your office. That's why we're constantly using ZipRecruiter to upgrade our staff. It's a wonder that our original staff, any of them, are still here considering the quality of candidates that we get from ZipRecruiter. They post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. And then ZipRecruiter actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. They even review every application to identify those top candidates so you never miss a terrific match. And that's why ZipRecruiter is different. They do not depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them for you. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one one day. ZipRecruiter is the sm smartest way to hire. It works for businesses of all sizes in all industries. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free, right? Just for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. When you do, you can post jobs for free. Again, ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. We use it here at the DailyWire offices. It has brought us at least a couple of employees that I know about. Uh, and, uh, and we continue to post a ZipRecruiter whenever we have an opening. So check it out at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Okay. So we begin with this just-breaking story that Stormy Daniels uh, is now going to drop a long story about how she had sex with Trump in 2006. And we're all supposed to act surprised over all of this. The answer is no, none of us are surprised over any of this. President Trump's character has long been known. His latest wife, Melania, the first lady of the United States, is his third wife. He was having an affair with her when he was married to his second wife. He was having an affair with his second wife when he was married to his first wife. So, no, none of this is particularly surprising. Also, he obviously has a thing for models. Melania was working for a modeling agency that I believe he ran at the time, or that he owned at the time that they were married and posing in, in shall we say, provocative ways. Uh, and, uh, and 
then he said that he married her specifically because he wanted to make other men feel jealous when he walked into the room. So it's not particularly surprising that Trump apparently had an affair while Melania was pregnant with Barron in 2006. So In Touch magazine has now run excerpts from an interview with adult film star Stormy Daniels. Her actual name is Stephanie Clifford, wherein she detailed having this affair. So apparently she, he approached her in, uh, in a golf tournament in Lake Tahoe in July 2016, uh, in 2006 rather, just four months after youngest son Barron was born. He, he asked for her number and invited her to dinner. When she arrived, he was wearing sweatpants, and they ended up eating in his hotel room, which is just a classy move. I mean, when, when I, that, that was my typical seduction move. When I, when I first met my wife, I showed up in sweatpants, looking like a homeless person, and then I said, you want to go upstairs. It, it works great. She excused herself to the bathroom. When she emerged, Daniels told in touch that Trump was sitting on the bed and invited her to join him. She thought, ugh, here we go. And then she went through with it anyway, because apparently this is what people do. I, I'm, I'm completely bewildered by the sex habits of rich and famous people. Uh, I know that now I'm somewhat rich and also somewhat famous, but I'm still bewildered by this. I, this has not changed my view on how sex is supposed to work. Apparently, according to the Daily Beast, the full unedited interview that will run later this week is 5,500 words of cray. So we can all look forward to that. Apparently, she is going to drop full-on explicit descriptions of the president's junk. So this will make the second president in the last four about whose junk we know far too much. So that's going to be very exciting. I'm so glad that the media are on top of this thing. Meanwhile, Senator Jeff Flake is right now taking to the floor of the Senate to rip President Trump over his treatment of the press. I'm very disappointed because today, if you recall, was supposed to be the day when we were going to get the fake news awards. It was supposed to be last week, then it was delayed till today, and now it has been downgraded to a potential idea. So it turns out the fakest news was that there was a fake news awards. That is not actually taking place. But Jeff Flake took to the floor of the Senate. Flake, of course, is leaving the Senate. Uh, he was probably not going to win re-election. He's probably going to lose his primary in Arizona anyway. So he is leaving, but not before he throws a few brickbats at his fellow Republicans and at President Trump over his treatment of the press. Some of this is earned. A lot of it is Jeff Flake posturing. Here is what Flake had to say. No longer can we turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to those assaults on our institutions. And, Mr. President, an American president who cannot take criticism, who must constantly deflect and distort and distract, who must find someone else to blame, is charting a very dangerous path. And a Congress that fails to act as a check on the president adds to that danger. Okay, the idea that Congress has not checked the president, I'm wondering how they're supposed to check him when he says dumb stuff like fake news about things that are not fake news. Now, we'll get a little bit later to actual fake news, you know, the, how the media have covered, for example, President Trump's health, the suggestion that he is demented or that he is in the early stages of Alzheimer's, that he's totally crazy or that he's about to die of a heart attack. All of that's nonsense, and that was proved nonsense yesterday by a doctor for the White House who has evaluated presidents going all the way back to Obama and, uh, and who basically gave Trump a clean bill of health. The media refused to accept that. But the idea that Congress is, is sort of sitting around doing nothing when Trump says bad things, I I'm wondering, where is this purported silence I'm hearing so much about? I keep hearing their silence when Trump says stupid stuff about the media. Well, I'm not silent. Uh, I know a lot of Republicans who aren't silent. Democrats certainly aren't silent. The media certainly aren't silent. Now, Jim Acosta certainly isn't silent. Now, even when Trump just throws, even when Trump does something that's not terribly wrong to Jim Acosta, Jim Acosta is on CNN whining about it, the, the, the White House correspondent for CNN. For example, this happened yesterday with regard to the media. Uh, here is uh, Trump was being asked questions by Acosta. Acosta just won't shut up, and finally Trump says, get out <laughs> to Jim Acosta. Mr. President, did you say that you want more people to come in from Norway? Did you say that you wanted more people to come in from Norway? Is that true, Mr. President? 
I want them to come in from everywhere, everywhere. Thank you very much, everybody. Just Caucasian or white countries, sir, or do you want people to come in from other parts of the world where there are people Jim, of color? Jim, thank you. And uh, not sure if you can hear the end of that there, uh, Wolf, uh, but as I tried to ask whether he wanted uh, more people to come in just from white or Caucasian countries, uh, he said out. He pointed at me and said out as in get out of the Oval Office. Okay, and then he says out. He says out to Acosta because Acosta won't shut up, and then Acosta goes online and whines about it on Twitter. Oh, he said out to me. Yes, I'm sure, Jim. It was just like the journalists who are being jailed in China. Uh, this idea that the media are being somehow stonewalled by the Trump administration. It's the leakiest administration in American history. And Trump loves the press. I mean, he's talking to the press on a nonstop basis. Jim Acosta playing the victim is just a little bit silly. Yeah, I think that the president should not say what he says about the press. I've said that many times. I've said it throughout the campaign. I've said that the attacks on the fake news media are ridiculous. Attack the fake news when it's actually fake news. Don't attack it when it's not fake news. But the idea that Trump is doing something you know, that is Un, that, that is undeniably destroying the image of the press among the American people. Pretty sure the press did that themselves. And they continue to do it themselves on a fairly regular basis. And just to, to finish with Flake, here's what Flake had to say about politicians attacking the press. And so we know well that no matter how powerful, no president will ever have dominion over objective reality. No politician will ever get us or tell us what the truth is and what it is not. And anyone who presumes to try to attack or manipulate the press for his own purposes should be made to realize his mistake and to be held to account. That is our job here. That is just as Madison, Hamilton, and Jay would have it. Listen, I'm fine with criticisms of President Trump that are earned. Uh, again, I think that, that Flake making a big deal out of Trump's attacks on the press why don't we wait for like an actual Trump attack on the press that is worthwhile? This is a pre-planned speech that he was announcing five days in advance how he was going to go after Trump from the Senate floor because Flake sort of wants to run for president. It was bad timing for him because this is the same press that is busily going after Trump's health. So as I mentioned, White House doctor yesterday said there are no concerns about Trump's cognitive abilities. He already had to stay at the White House. This is, I watched some of this press conference live. It went on for like an hour. Him just talking about the president's health, Dr. Ronnie Jackson, the presidential physician, and the press just cannot believe that Ronnie Jackson is giving Trump a clean bill of health and not declaring him a nut. So I had no intentions whatsoever of doing that, like I said, because I didn't feel it was clinically indicated. And part of the reason I didn't think it was clinically indicated is because uh, I've spent almost every day in the, pre in the president's presence since January 20, 2000, or you know, last year, uh, when, he, when he got into office. And I've seen him every day. I see him uh, one, two, uh, sometimes three times a day because of the location of my office. We have conversations about many things. Most of not, uh, most don't re uh, revolve around medical issues at all. But I've got to know him pretty well, and uh, I had absolutely no concerns about his cognitive ability or his, uh, uh, you know, his his uh, neurological function. So. I was not going to do a cognitive exam. I had no intention of doing one. The, the, the reason that we did the cognitive assessment is plain and simple because the president asked me okay, to do so, it. Okay, so Trump took a cognitive assessment. He scored 30 out of 30 on that, and the press couldn't believe it. And in just a second, I'm going to tell you what the press did about it this morning because it's, it, it's just demonstrative of the fact that this is not a one-sided battle. It's not just Trump taking on the press. It's obviously the press also taking on Trump in some pretty ridiculous ways. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Tracker. So... 
you need to find your keys. You need to find your wallet, right? This is just uh, an exercise that I used to go through every single day. I'm on my way out of the house. Where's my wallet? Where's my keys? My kids stole them and hid them somewhere. How do I find them? Well, the best way that you can find them now is with the Tracker Pixel because you'll never have to worry about losing your things again. It's the lightest Bluetooth tracking device on the market. You put the Tracker Pixel on whatever you tend to lose, your keys, your wallet, your purse, and then you install the app on your phone and you can use your phone to find your keys, your wallet, your purse, or if you lose your phone, then you can use your keys, wallet, or purse. You hit the, the Tracker Pixel and it actually rings through on your phone. So this is a common complaint around the Shapiro household or was the idea that you lose your phone, it's on silent, you're trying to ring it and you don't know where it is. Well, when you have the tracker pixel, it just overrules that. It makes a sound from your phone even if your phone is on silent and that ensures that you can find your phone even though you put it on silent and then forgot to take it off silent later. When you misplace an item that has a tracker pixel attached, again, a 90 decibel alert helps you find it in seconds. And you can even locate your item if it's miles away because every tracker user is part of the largest crowd locate network in the world. So it's kind of like Waze except for finding things. They also have a 30-day money-back guarantee, which means you really don't have anything to lose. So check it out. Save 20% off your order when you go to thetrackr.com. It's thetrackr.com slash Ben. Again, thetrackr.com slash Ben for 20% off. Thetrackr.com slash Ben. I've said before, it has been a saving grace in my marriage. It has definitely helped. Um, relations in the Shapiro household because there's nothing worse than you're late for a dinner reservation and now you have to spend 15 minutes looking for your car keys or my wife's phone, which is what she usually loses. Uh, it, it has definitely uh, alleviated a lot of the stresses in the Shapiro house. Thank God, those are the, that's the extent of the stresses in our house, but it's, it's stressful nonetheless, which is why the tracker is so great. TheTrackR.com slash Ben for 20% off and it lets them know that we sent you. Okay, so I was talking about you know, Jeff Flake suggesting that Trump's attacks on the media are bad. Yes, they are bad. I don't like them. And he said, that they, uh, he said that they inspire dictators around the world. Inspire is too strong a word. The idea that, that the mullahs are sitting around in Iran going, ah, oh, now Trump attacked the press. Wish I had thought of that. Oh, now I must attack press. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what that accent was, but I certainly don't know where that logic would come from. So the idea that they are, they're sitting around, you know, Kim Jong-un is sitting around thinking to himself, yes, Trump attacked the press. Now I'll be mean to the press. Just stupid. The idea that it emboldens people because Trump isn't going to stand up for press freedoms in other parts of the world, there's probably some element of truth to that. But when Trump attacks the news, it makes it easy for him to attack the news when the media decide to be idiots. So as I mentioned yesterday, Dr. Ronnie Jackson is the presidential physician, and he came out and cleared Trump on health. He also cleared him on heart health. He said that Trump has excellent genes. He said the best genes, the greatest genes. Here's Dr. Ronnie Jackson talking about Trump's amazing genes. It's called genetics. I don't know. It's uh, some people have, uh, you know, just great genes. You know, uh, I told the president that if he had a healthier diet over the last uh, 20 years, he might live to be 200 years old. I don't know. I mean, um, he uh, he has incredible uh, he has incredible genes. OK, so obviously the president wants the doctor out there saying that, which is fine. There's all these conspiracy theories going around now about Trump's height and weight. People are calling them girthers instead of birthers because the, the health report suggested that President Trump uh, weighs 239 pounds and is 6'3". And for years, he'd been saying that he was 6'2", so apparently he gained an inch, and that inch uh, sort of prevented him from being labeled as obese as opposed to overweight, as though it makes any sort of difference. But here's the point. His, his dad, I think uh, Fred Trump, lived to something like 93, uh, I believe. Let, let, me, let me see. He, he, yeah, he lived till 94, Fred Trump. 93, I was right the first time. Uh, Fred Trump lived till 93. Uh, Trump is only 71 now. So just based on life expectancy and families, it'd be likely that Trump does fine, right? That, that Trump lives fine. So the, the doctor comes out and he says that Trump does not suffer from heart disease. Well, today, Sanjay Gupta over at CNN came out and said, well, hold on a second. He does suffer from heart disease. Trump does have heart disease. Now, Sanjay Gupta has not actually examined Trump 
doesn't really know much about Trump's health other than what Ronnie Jackson said. But the media have jumped on this, and now they're suggesting, well, maybe maybe people weren't forthright about all this. Maybe it turns out that maybe it turns out that, that Trump isn't as healthy as we were led to believe. All of this is wishful thinking because the media actually hope that he dies. I mean, let's be let's be frank about this. There are a lot of members of the media who hope that Trump drops, drops dead tomorrow of a heart attack. Here's what Jackson actually said about Trump's heart disease. He said uh, he said he does not have heart disease. He uh, and the question was he had a CT scan before that showed calcium in his coronary blood vessels. And Jackson said he does. He did. He had technically a non non clinical atherosclerotic coronary coronary arthro, uh, atherosclerosis. And so that's been mentioned in previously uh, previous physical exams he's had done. He had a coronary calcium score done in 2009. It was 34. He had a coronary calcium score done in 2013. that was 98. And then we did get a calcium score from this one. I didn't mention it because I think it was clinically good information. It, it was 133. So I had a conversation with the cardiologist, not only at Walter Reed, but at Cleveland Clinic and several other well-known institutions. Everyone saw that as reassuring. He's gone this period of time, and he's had that little of a change in his coronary calcium load. So Sanjay Gupta says, well, he's suffering from coronary heart disease, right? So technically he is, right? So technically pretty much everyone is. Uh, he scored 133 according to the, the, the WebMD cardiac calcium scoring chart. That means you have a moderate amount of plaque in your heart. You have heart disease, and plaque may be blocking your artery. Your chance of having a heart attack is moderate to high, um, but it also depends on your age. So if you actually go over to the multi-ethnic study of atherosclerosis, uh, which is a, an actual study that you can type in your information, like your 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 age and your race and your and uh, your gender, when you type in 71-year-old white male and a 133 calcium score, that calculates that you are a uh, that you are in the 46th percentile. Right, so you're basically around average. Right, that, that's kind of normal for your age uh, in, in, terms of, in terms of what you have. Plus, Trump's calcium score has been stable over time. In 2009, he was at the 47th percentile. In 2013, he was at the 52nd percentile. Today, he's actually at the, 42nd, the 46th percentile. So he's actually doing better now than he was in 2013 by percentile. In other words, his heart is not getting bad as fast as other people his age. Their hearts are getting bad. So the media are obviously overblowing this and trying to make it seem like Trump is on the verge of having a massive heart attack. And, and they're suggesting that you use the eye test. OK, Trump is fat. Trump doesn't exercise. He doesn't eat well. All of that is true. It's also true that a lot of people who don't eat well and are fat and have good genes live till really old ages without actually having heart attacks. It happens all the time. George Burns smoked and lived till 101. That doesn't say smoking is good for you, but it does suggest that not every average means that you are going to, to be the guy who has the heart attacks. The media have made a huge deal out of all of this in the same way that they made a huge deal out of the, the bleep poll comments. And the goal of all of this is to make it seem as though Trump, in some way or another, is unfit for office. So I've said before, I think that Trump does not have the character I would wish to see in the president of the United States. But the media's attempt to recast Trump's health records as, as a real issue now, it's just insane. And that's one of the reasons why people don't take the media seriously when Trump attacks the media, which he does uh, so often and so repeatedly. So meanwhile, obviously, the S-hole controversy has now entered its sixth day, and this will not end. Uh, I, again, hearken back to that time when the Obama administration, when President Obama specifically said about an allied prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, that he was chicken bleep. And that controversy lasted under 24 hours. I remember because I was there and helped cover it. The, the bleep hole controversy continues because the media want to portray Trump as a racist. And not only do they want him to portray him as a racist, they also want to use that portrayal in order to blame Trump for any breakdown on a DACA deal. So Trump yesterday came out and he sort of clarified his policy on all this. He says, listen, 
Regardless of what you think you've heard from behind closed doors, here is my policy. I want a merit-based system. The merit-based system is based on who is highly educated, who is highly skilled. Now, there are a lot of people who are coming out and saying, well, a merit-based system is in and of itself discriminatory because there are people from different countries who are less educated, and Trump is really saying he wants white people because white people from European countries are going to have higher levels of education on average than, say, people from Haiti. And who cares? You know, three generations ago, my great-grandfather came here, and he had no education, and he did great. Well, that's true. I mean, three generations ago, my great-grandfather came here in 1907, and he did great, too. He didn't, speak the, he didn't speak the language. I'm not sure his educational level was. The difference is there wasn't a massive social safety net and redistributionist network that was designed to pick up the slack for him if he failed. The idea was that we were self-selecting better immigrants in terms of people who were entrepreneurial because they knew you come here, you're not hands in anything, and if things go wrong, you're basically on your own. Right? These are risk-seeking people who came over to the United States in an attempt to better themselves. It's not the same thing as people who are coming over here for redistribution. And even if you're saying people are coming here to better their lives, they're not coming here for redistribution, if you know there's a social safety net, that is going to change the level on average of people who are coming into the country, just the way you're going to change the clientele of your restaurant if you say that it's 100 bucks a plate versus if you say all the food is free. It's going to change who shows up for your restaurant. There's a difference between a soup kitchen and a five-star Michelin-rated restaurant. So the, the idea that, that you, are, you can change the how the United States works and not change the, the nature of immigration coming to the United States, which necessitates a change in the standard that you're using for immigration, is just silly. So here's Trump saying, listen, I want immigrants from everywhere, but I want a merit-based system. I just want to thank everybody for being here. Thank you, Did you say that you wanted more people coming from much. Norway? Is that true, Mr. Thank President? You very, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I want them to come in from everywhere, everywhere. Thank you very much, everybody. Right, so, the, so the left should be jumping on that and saying, okay, well, there's Trump's apology, right? If they were smart, what they would say is, we want a merit-based system, too. And that's why what Trump said about Haitian immigrants is so terrible, because there are plenty of Haitian immigrants who'd be great here. Right, but instead, they, they won't say that because they don't want a merit-based system. They do want to discriminate on the basis of country of origin. It's one of the big problems. And they continue to rip on the Trump administration as though the Trump administration is on the verge of deporting all the dreamers. I know that's the dream of many of the hardliners in the Republican caucus and, and a few members of the sort of Ann Coulter, Breitbart base. But the reality is that's not what Trump is discussing right now. Christian Nielsen is the Secretary of Homeland Security, and she was specifically asked yesterday in a hearing whether the Trump administration was looking to deport so-called dreamers. These would be people who are brought here as, as young people through, quote-unquote, no fault of their own, and now they've been here for nearly their entire lives. Here's what uh, Nelson had to say. It's not going to be a priority of the Immigration and Customs Enforcement uh, to prioritize their removal. Uh, I've said that before. That's not, the, that's not the policy of DHS. So if this doesn't get worked out and I am a dreamer, the way I'm supposed to read what you just said is this is not going to be a, uh, a priority of ICE. If you are a DACA that's compliant with your registration, meaning you haven't committed a crime, and you, in fact, are registered, you're not priority of enforcement for ICE should the program end. Okay, so what she's, what she's saying is basically DACA is going to remain in place even if Congress doesn't do anything about it, which suggests that the two sides are really not that far apart on this thing. Republicans just want some of Trump's immigration priorities put in place, but Democrats have no interest in providing that because, in all likelihood, we're not going to deport these folks in any case. So why are the media going so nuts over this? Why are they going so nuts over the bleep poll comment when the policy is basically so consistent, when it, it appears that nothing really is going to change? Because obviously they're trying to get the Republicans to cave on all of their political priorities. And I'm going to show you how that's the case in just a second. Plus, Cory Booker just loses his mind. I mean, absolutely loses his mind. It, it's the greatest case of acting since John Lovitz. I mean, it's acting. It's amazing. Uh, and uh, 
I, I haven't been this moved by a piece of acting that I've seen recently since, uh, since Tommy Wiseau. It's just incredible. Uh, so we'll get to that in just a second. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Bull and Branch. So, you know, people don't agree on everything, but I think that everyone can agree that you need a good night's sleep. I definitely need a good night's sleep. I value my sleep highly, and that's why I need Bull and Branch. Everything Bull and Branch makes, from bedding to blankets, is made from pure 100% organic cotton, which means they start out super soft, and as you wash them, they get even softer over time. And you are buying directly from them, so you're essentially paying wholesale prices. Luxury sheets can cost up to a thousand bucks in stores, but Bull and Branch sheets are only a couple hundred bucks. The sheets are so good that I've bought a bunch of pairs on my own. We put them in basically all the rooms of our house. Uh, we put them in the kitchen because they're so comfortable. I mean, they're just, they are supremely comfortable. When I'm in, at a hotel on the road, I don't sleep as well because they don't always have bull and branch sheets. Everyone who tries these sheets loves them. That's why three ex-presidents sleep on them, plus Bill Clinton's lovers, presumably. To get you started right now, my listeners get 50 bucks off your first set of sheets at bullandbranch.com, promo code Ben. Plus, by the way, shipping is free, and you can try them for 30 nights. So if you don't love them, then you send them back and you get a full refund. You're not going to want to send them back. They are that good. Right now, listeners, as I say, 50 bucks off your first set of sheets at bullandbranch.com, promo code Ben. Again, that's bullandbranch.com, promo code Ben for 50 bucks off your first set of sheets. B-O-L-L and branch.com, promo code Ben. Go ahead and check it out. Bullandbranch.com, promo code Ben, and that lets them know that we sent you as well. Get 50 bucks off your order. All right, so, uh, the, so the question is, Trump is signaling he wants a merit-based system. I put aside the bleephole comments because... Those happened a week ago, and in news cycle speak, that's like basically, news cycle speak is sort of like dog years, right? Every week is seven years in news cycle speak. So in news cycle speak, this happened a long time ago, but we're still talking about it. Why are the Democrats still keeping it alive? Because they are more interested in using it as a club to beat Trump than actually coming to some sort of agreement over DACA. So the, here's the DHS secretary yesterday testifying in front of the Senate Judiciary, uh, is the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee, I believe? Uh, and uh, she says she's not going to talk about these comments, and then Democrats lose their freaking minds. At any point in that conversation on Thursday, did the President of the United States use that four-letter word, beginning with S, in combination with any other words? or alone that you heard? Sir, respectfully, I have answered this. I've been very patient with this line of questioning. I am here to tell you about the threats our country faces and the needs and authorities that are needed by the Department of Homeland Security. I have nothing further to say about a meeting that happened over a week ago. I'd like to move forward and discuss ways in which we can protect our country. Okay, and this prompts the Democrats to just go nuts. So Kamala Harris, our awful, awful senator from the state of California, she suggests that the secretary herself might be a racist because this is what we're going to do now. We're just going to we're going to race bait all the way all the way till the end. Again, I thought Trump's comments were at best ill-advised and at worst reeked of racism. Uh, I think there's a plausible interpretation that does not have anything to do with race. I think that, in in my opinion, that may be the slightly more plausible interpretation. But the idea that the secretary is racist is insane. It doesn't matter. She suggests that, that the secretary is racist anyway. This is a pivotal moment in the history of our country. Is it? when we are having discussions about whether the people of Norway, and I will use your words, Madam Secretary, and you spoke about how they were referred to as, by contrast to the people of Africa and the various countries, the 54 countries of Africa and Haiti, and we speak of them, and you've spoke of them, according to the president, as the people of Norway, well, you know, they work very hard. The inference being the people of the 54 states of Africa and Haiti do not. You must understand the inference, the reasonable inference, that the American public is drawing from the words you speak. 
much less the words of the President of the United States. So now she's suggesting that Nielsen is a racist. So everyone's a racist, right? Nielsen is sitting there basically saying, I didn't hear those comments. Maybe she's lying. Maybe that's not true. Maybe she did hear the comments. It doesn't matter. The bottom line is she didn't say anything in this hearing that was racist, but Kamala Harris is going to keep screaming racism so that nobody actually has to discuss what to do with the Dreamers. Right? The truth is that Trump does want to talk about the Dreamers. Trump basically was willing to cut any deal that he could cut at the very beginning until a spine stiffener was put in him by Tom Cotton, uh, as, as, well as, uh, as well as a couple of other senators. But the Democrats lost their minds yesterday, so Cory Booker just goes nuts. I mean, he goes full-on John Lovett's acting course crazy here. I mean, it's, it, he, Lisa's tearing him apart. I mean, he just, he, he, goes, he, he goes ballistic, and he's bad at this. I mean, really bad at this. This is, this is not even good acting. He says he cried tears of rage, tears of rage. I'm going to talk a little bit about tears in politics in just a second because I hate this crap, but here is Cory Booker just putting on his Mr. Potato Head angry eyes in order to, in order to rip into Nielsen and Trump. In an Oval Office meeting, referring to people from African countries and Haitians with the most vile and vulgar language. The language festers. When ignorance and bigotry is allied with power, it is a dangerous force in our country. Your silence and your amnesia is complicity. Right now in our nation, we have a problem I don't know if 73% of your time is spent on white supremacist hate groups. I don't know if 73% of your time is spent concerned about the people in fear in communities in this country, Sikh Americans, Muslim Americans, black Americans. The fact pattern is clear of the threats in this country. I hurt. When Dick Durbin called me, I had tears of rage when I heard about this experience in that meeting. And for you not to feel that hurt and that pain and to dismiss some of the questions of my colleagues, saying I've already answered that line of questions when tens of millions of Americans are hurting right now because of what they're worried about what happened in the White House. That's unacceptable to me. You're out of order. I'm out of order. This entire court is out of order. Never go full Al Pacino and injustice for all. Never do it. It's just not good. And so Cory Booker, of course the left loves this sort of theatricality. They love theatricality and deception, just like Ra's al Ghul. They're totally into it. They love Cory Booker. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is Tommy Wiseau level acting. Like, just look at, here, here is the, it's the greatest acting I've seen since I saw this. Hi. Can I help you? Yeah, can I have a dozen red roses, please? Oh, hi, Johnny. I didn't know it was you. <laughs> here you go. That's me. How much is it? It'll be $18. Here you go. Keep the change. Hi, doggy. You're my favorite customer. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. I did not hit her. It's not, not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Yep, there it is. Okay, there it is. That's it. There it is. There is your, there is your Cory Booker moment from Tommy Wiseau. I did not... You did not hit me! Oh, hi, Secretary Nelson. Like, what is this? What is this nonsense? And all this posturing, you think they're really... You think... If you think Cory Booker cried tears of rage, First of all, man up, dude. Cried tears of rage, you do politics for a living. You know how many times I've ever cried about politics itself? This many times, zero. I do it every day, I've been doing it every day since I was 17. People say horrible crap all the time, not just about politics generally, but to me specifically. And then Cory Booker talks about I get death threats. Yeah, I've been there. You know how many times I whined about that in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee? Like, uh, oh my God, 
First of all, what does Secretary Nielsen have to do with death threats that Cory Booker received? I'm going to have to I'm going to have to hear the explanation on that one. I'll also point out here that it, let's say, for example, that Hillary Clinton had been testifying in front of Republicans and they had started yelling at her the way Cory Booker was just yelling at Secretary Nielsen, right, suggesting that your silence is complicity, right, going full on nut job with the, with the with the pan's labyrinth hands up here, right? Ooh, I'm a moose, right? That, that's basically what, what Cory Booker is doing there. He does this, this insane routine. Imagine that we're a Republican doing it to a Democrat woman. Would the cries of sexism ever stop? We're still hearing about she persisted because Elizabeth Warren wouldn't be quiet after she was told to be quiet by the rules of the Senate. And then it was, oh, she persisted. She, what a brave woman, what a brave woman. But Cory Booker rips this lady up and down for basically doing nothing, right? And you know what a hero he is, what a hero. This sort of this sort of nonsense just makes me sick to my stomach. It's really stupid and it's really gross and it's really opportunistic. Cory Booker wants to run for president. So does Kamala Harris. Maybe they'll have a cry off. Somebody called the ambulance. I'm going to talk a little bit more about crying in politics in just a second because this is this, I, I hate emotions as a general rule and I particularly hate it when it comes to emotions in politics. But first. Uh, we are going to have to break over at, uh, at, at Facebook. So check us out uh, at dailywire.com. Get a subscription, $9.99 a month. Buys you a subscription to Daily Wire. When you do, you get the rest of our show, which is going to be awesome today. You get the rest of Andrew Clavin's show, the rest of Michael Knowles' show. You get to be part of the mailbag. You could have been part of Andrew Clavin's mailbag yesterday on The Conversation if you had subscribed, but you didn't. And now you're feeling bad about yourself. Well, that's why you need to go and subscribe right now, this very minute, for $9.99 a month. Also, the annual subscription comes along with those things and this, the magnificent, incomparable, never imitated, never duplicated, leftist tears hot or cold mug. It was perfect for Cory Booker yesterday. I legitimately turned on my TV, opened up this mug, and magically just filled up from the bottom of the top with Cory Booker's tears of rage. Uh, I, then, I then had to boil them down so that the water was not, uh, so that it was sanitary, because I don't actually like drinking other people's tears. It seems kind of gross. I don't know what's going on in their pores, but just general rule, not Cory Booker specific. But in any case, the Tumblr is great. And for $99 a year, you can have that as well as all of the other goodies. So check that out. You want to listen later, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We always have good new videos coming out. So check that out over there. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. So it used to be that in American politics, you weren't supposed to cry. It was a sign of weakness to cry in American politics. It showed that you were a wimp. It showed that you couldn't handle the stress of high office. Now, if you don't cry, you are considered not in touch with your feelings. I like it better the old way. I don't want my leaders to cry. Right? And there are times, by the way, when it seems entirely appropriate for me to, for, for people to cry. Like if you see a wounded soldier, right? you're in a situation where you see a suffering child. Like these are times when you cry. You're walking through a Holocaust memorial, right? There are times where tears, I think, are not out of bounds. But the idea that you cried when you heard because the president said that there are some bleephole countries, wouldn't that just be tears of rage? First of all, it sounds like a really terrible romance novel from Daniel Steele, Tears of Rage with Cory Booker. But let's go back to 1972. So all the way back in 1972, there was a, there was a candidate for the presidency of the United States in the Democratic Party. His name was Edmund Muskie. Okay, Edmund Muskie was actually one of the front runners for the nomination. He was the 58th Secretary of State under Jimmy Carter. Uh, he was a senator from Maine from 1959 to 1980, and he was considered somebody who was probably going to run strong in the 1972 election cycle. So the, the polls for him were pretty good. He was considered a front runner. Um, in, uh, in 1970, he declared that he was going to run. In the Iowa caucuses, however, uh, George McGovern won. And then 
Muskie ended up going to New Hampshire, uh, and in New Hampshire, he, he made a statement. His wife was being attacked in the middle of the, so he, he, uh, he won the New Hampshire primary, uh, and then his wife was attacked by the press, and he made an emotional defense of his wife, and in that defense, it looks like he was crying, right? Here's, here's what the video looked like. Himself to be a gutless coward. Maybe I said all I should on it. It's fortunate for him he's not on this platform beside me. Okay, so he was ripped up and down, right? He was ripped up and down because he was supposedly crying here. It turns out that that was actually just melted snowflakes because you can see that it was snowing outside. But the press reported, lying, that, that, that Muskie had broken down and cried, and that basically ended his candidacy. Right? That ended his candidacy. So we used to have a country where if you cried about people attacking your wife, then that was considered wimpy. Now we, have a can now we have a country where Cory Booker whines about how he cried tears of rage when he heard that the president said something in a behind-closed-doors meeting, and we're supposed to take that seriously. By the way, Cory Booker is a serial fabulist. Okay, Cory Booker makes crap up on a fairly regular basis. There's a, a story from a few years ago where Cory Booker used to go around talking about T-Bone. Okay, T-Bone was a fixture of Booker's unsuccessful 2002 mayoral bid in Newark, and he used to talk about his friend T-Bone. And his friend T-Bone was alternatively a drug pusher who had threatened his life and then sobbed on his shoulder. According to Eliana Johnson, she's now over at the Washington Post, uh, I believe she was then at National Review. She says, the tale is one Booker admits he's told a million times. But uh, the, in Booker's mind, according to city councilmen, it's not so much the details of the story that matter, but the principle that these things happen. They happen to real people. They happen in the city of Newark. Uh, T-Bone does not apparently exist. So there was a Rutgers University history professor named Clement Price, a Booker supporter. He told National Review Online he found the mayor's story offensive because it pandered to a stereotype of inner-city black men. T-Bone, Price says, is a Southern-inflicted name. You would expect to run into somebody or something named T-Bone in Memphis, not Newark. Price said that he was a mentor and friend to Booker and says Booker conceded to him in 2008 that T-Bone was a composite of several people he'd met while living in Newark. And the press professor said that he told Booker he disapproved of him inventing such a person. He said, if you're going to create a, comp a composite of a man along High Street, why don't you make it W.E.B. Dubois? Booker agreed that it was a mistake, and then Booker stopped talking about T-Bone. He has never admitted, by the way, that T-Bone does not exist, but he has defended T-Bone's existence over and over. This is not the first time, of course, that he fibbed. In 2007, he described Newark activist Judy Diggs as a, a, as a potty-mouthed educator who was always, quote, cussing out my mama, cussing out my daddy, and said she had died in a truly poetic way reading to children. The Diggs family was angry. They came forward and they said that was a lie. She died in her office. And then Booker emphasized that his, he apologized and said that all of that was in bad taste. And again, he, he's talked over and over about T-Bone. He says, I walked up to this charismatic black guy my age called T-Bone, who was one of the drug lords. I just said, yo, man, what's up? And he leaped in front of me, looked me right in the eye and said, who the blank do you think you are? If you ever so want you to look at me again, I'm going to put a cap in your ass. Yeah, this doesn't sound stilted at all. But that's who Cory Booker is, and now he's being trotted out as a hero. So this is the way we're going to do this. Whoever demonstrates the most emotion, whoever demonstrates, I think it's true on the right as well as on the left, whoever demonstrates the most emotion wins. I think this is one of the reasons Trump won the nomination. It's because Trump does anger really well. Cory Booker is not all that good at anger. I mean, again, that acting job is really not good. It's a really poor acting job. But it allows people on the left to feel that he is a cathartic outlet for their emotions. He is an avatar for what I'm feeling. I'm feeling so mad and so angry, and crying tears of rage that Cory Booker is just my guy. How about this? How about our politicians don't have to be avatars of your feelings? How about the, It's the stupidest measure 
they say the most important measure in presidential politics is quote unquote cares about people like you. I think this is a stupid measure because the way that people measure caring typically is not what you do for somebody else, but how you feel about somebody else. I hate intent-based politics. I hate it. I don't think that your intentions matter nearly at all. I don't think your emotions matter nearly at all. I think that what you do matters. Right? I'm of the Batman school of thought. Right? It's 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 not what's under the mask, it's what I do that defines me. Right? That, that, I, that, that's the school of thought that I apply to politics. I apply it to life as well, by the way. I'm an acts-based person. I'm happy with people when I think they're doing the right thing. I'm unhappy when I do the wrong thing. But in politics, too often, it's, oh, they care about people like me because they shed a tear. Because I know that deep down, they care about my concerns. How about we stop worrying so much about how people care and what they think about their emotions, and we, we worry more about what they do. If we did that, we'd have a DACA deal probably in the next couple of days here. And meanwhile, the Democrats are never going to stop with this. So Dick Durbin uh, it will not stop. He says that Trump says that we need more Europeans and we need more people from Norway. Again, I, I find the, the ire from Dick Durbin over Trump saying that there are bleephole countries out there a little bit ironic, considering that he suggested back during the Iraq War that American soldiers were the equivalent of Nazis or the soldiers of Pol Pot from Cambodia. But here is Senator Dick Durbin from Illinois. Again, but it was a long, far-ranging meeting about immigration in general. Negative things were said about Haitians coming to the United States. The president was talking, and I think this is a tell, if you will. We need more people from Norway, he said. Norway, they don't even take refugees in Norway, he said. Uh, and I just met with the Norwegian prime minister. We need more Europeans. We need, I mean, it was pretty clear to me what the president's message was in that meeting. Okay, well, I'm glad that it was clear to him, but... We're now a week out and nothing has changed. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, I think, is, probably, is right on this now. We've wasted a week fighting over Trump's verbiage behind closed doors. Why don't we actually get to the policy and then see if Trump actually wants to take in refugees from Norway but not Haiti? How about that? One of the rare times while I'll side with, with the, the press secretary, here's what Sarah Huckabee Sanders said yesterday. Look, I wasn't in that room, so I can go uh, only off of what the individuals who were. They said that term wasn't used, but that tough language was. Uh, look, no one here is going to pretend like the president is always politically correct. He isn't. I think that's one of the reasons the American people love him. One of the reasons that he won uh, and is sitting in the Oval Office today is because he isn't a scripted robot. He's somebody who tells things uh, like they are sometimes, and sometimes he does use tough language. The point that he's trying to make, the point... Uh, that the entire conversation, frankly, should be focused on is the issue at hand. We've wasted five days fighting over one word when we should be fighting over the, the, the people that are involved in the DACA program. If Democrats really want to protect these individuals, that's who they should be fighting for, and that's what they should be fighting about, is figuring out a permanent solution to DACA. Okay, so the, the, it's the end of this I agree with, not the part where Trump is politically incorrect. I, I always object to equating political incorrectness with, with just being offensive and silly. But what she says at the end here is right, that why are we still talking about this? Like, why, why, are we, why can't we move on from this? You've already made your minds up, right? You've already made your decision. What do you want Trump to say at this point? What you really want Trump to say is, I resign. You're not going to get that. What you really want Trump to say is, I was a racist. You're not going to get that either. So I guess we can keep just beating Trump about the ears on this comment, but it's pretty obvious what the agenda is at this point. Okay. Meanwhile, uh, in other news, there's more nonsense from the Me Too movement. Feminists are freaking out, as I mentioned briefly yesterday, at Margaret Atwood, the author of the, the famed book, The Handmaid's Tale, which is not a very good book, but she's considered a feminist icon. What did she do that's so wrong? What's she done to piss off the, the Me Too movement? Well, apparently, she, there was a piece that she, that she signed about how a guy named Stephen Galloway, the former chair of the creative writing program at the University of British Columbia, 
was facing serious allegations and that those allegations were not being properly examined, that people were jumping to conclusions. So Atwood pointed to the university's lack of transparency around the allegations and noted that Galloway had been asked to sign a confidentiality agreement. She said, quote, the public, including me, was left with the impression that this man was a violent serial rapist and everyone was free to attack him publicly since under the agreement he had signed, he couldn't say anything to defend himself. A fair-minded person would now withhold judgment as to guilt until the report and the evidence are available for us to see. And she suggested this was like the Salem witch trials and that guilt was assumed of people who were accused. A bunch of people on the left went nuts on this. How dare Margaret Atwood call for due process? How dare Margaret Atwood suggest that we may not have all of the facts? The longer the Me Too movement continues with this, the worse it's going to be for them. Because we all agree that rape and sexual assault are bad, but it is not out of bounds to suggest that we might need to see some evidence. That in the initial phase, we can believe objective claims about what a man has done, but we need all the facts to come out, and we need to hear what the guy has to say about it as well. But that's not what the Me Too movement apparently wants to do. The Huffington Post has a piece that was leading last night about Aziz Ansari. I defended Aziz Ansari a couple of days ago. I've been defending him now for a couple of days, not because I think he's not a D-bag. I think he is a D-bag, but because I think that if there's any implication that he was sexually assaulting or sexually harassing, this woman who came to his apartment got naked and performed sex acts on him multiple times before deciding she wasn't having fun, that maybe she might have been sending some mixed signals. Is that a possibility? Just like some mixed signals? Yeah. I, honestly, I don't think it's particularly mixed when you get naked in a guy's apartment and uh, perform oral sex on him twice. Like, that doesn't seem particularly mixed to me. That's that's pretty certain signal. But apparently, Aziz Ansari is supposed to be a mind reader. So this, this article from the Huffington Post talks again about another story where a guy was not nice to a woman and how she, it made her feel used. And we can't, and we can't dismiss the Aziz Ansari story uh, as Me Too movement run amok. Uh, this, this writer says, the sexual encounter Grace described falls into what I see as a gray area of violating non-criminal sex. The kind of sex Rebecca Traster described as bad in ways that are worth talking about. And what Jessica Valenti described on Twitter is an interaction that the culture considers normal but is oftentimes harmful. harmful. Well, maybe that's because the culture that the feminist movement created has destroyed the notion of normal sex. Maybe that's the problem. And maybe we should start deconstructing that. Okay, time for a couple things I like, a quick thing I hate, and then Bible talk. So. Uh, things I like. Um, this is a minor thing I like today, but I did enjoy it. Orrin Hatch, uh, who's going to be the retiring senator from Utah, he was in the middle of, of doing this uh, questioning at the Senate Judiciary Committee of the Homeland Security Secretary, uh, and he, saw, he, he forgot that he was, wearing, he was not wearing glasses, and so this semi-hilarious moment ensued. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'd like to begin with uh, our one religious... And there they go. Visas, which are so, crucially important. There you saw it, him going for those glasses that are not there and removing them. I, I've never worn glasses, so I don't know if this is a regular thing that people do. Uh, I assume that it's relatively common. But a minor thing that I like today, we don't have to go any further than that. Okay, time for a quick thing that I hate. So my state, California, leads the nation in poverty. It doesn't matter. We have a 13% state income tax. It does not matter. We have a 10% sales tax does not matter we spend more money than any other state does not none of that matters all that matters is that um, is that california continues to lead the nation in poverty uh, we are one of the leaders in income inequality we have a tremendous homeless problem if you drive around la it does look like a bleep hole uh, la has become very shoddy and run down the city of my birth and where i've spent the vast majority of my life and that does have something to do with the city policy pursued by Democrats in city government, in the city council, in the mayor's office for years on end. And what's hilarious is that people on the left continue to be puzzled by this. How could it be that California is just terrible? How? Right? It's the, the, uh, the 
the report suggests that one out of five residents, the LA Times says one out of five residents in California is poor. So California has fallen behind. Our state's per capita GDP increased approximately twice as much as the US average over the five years ending in 2016, but the income inequality has gotten worse because the people who are making money at the top of the spectrum are people in Silicon Valley, people in Hollywood, people in the finance industry, but all the people at the bottom are failing. Why? Because it is very difficult to start a business and hire in, in California. Regulations are really difficult. There are 883,000 full-time equivalent state and local employees in 2014. We have huge bureaucracy. We have a housing crisis. More than four in 10 households spent more than 30% of their income on housing in 2015. That's because of regulations preventing new building in places like Los Angeles. So you can't actually drive the market down in terms of housing. All of this is what the people on the left wanted. They designed this policy and now they own it. California is in bad shape because of progressive policies. It is simple. It is just that simple. There is no more to it. Okay, time for a, a quick Bible analysis since it is Wednesday. So I felt like this is one of the most moving portions of the Bible. You know, for all the people who talk about the Bible is sexist and the Torah is sexist and, and you know, all these religious people are so sexist, this notion of how men and women are supposed to operate is more loving and more genuine and more real and more committed than anything that the feminist left has come up with. And this was written at least 3,000 years ago, right? This is written in, at the beginning of Genesis. This is Genesis chapter two, verses 22 through 25. And the Lord God built the side that he had taken from man into a woman, and he brought her to man. And the man said, this time it is the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called Isha, woman, because this one was taken from Ish, man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then here is the key line, right? Now they were both naked, the man and his wife, but they were not ashamed. Why weren't they ashamed? Why weren't they ashamed? Because there's nothing shameful about sex with a person to whom you are married. There's nothing shameful about the idea of becoming one flesh with the person who is your soulmate and who is flesh of your flesh. There's nothing shameful about the person you have chosen to create a life with having sex with you or being naked in front of you. Not only is there nothing shameful about it, there's something beautiful about it. But the beauty of sex is lost when it just becomes a series of casual one night stands or when sex becomes about a physical impulse rather than a spiritual, a, a physical desire to fulfill a spiritual impulse. You got rid of commitment, you got rid of love, and now you're upset because everything's awkward. Maybe it's because you made bad decisions about how your sex life was going to go, and because society has made bad decisions to separate off spirituality and meaning and intimacy and closeness and love and commitment from the sex act itself. And once man's reason pervades, uh, once man's desire to change how sex works prevails over the natural order, and the natural order is the idea that man and woman are supposed to be in committed relations in order, in order to have sex with one another, right? That's what the Bible is saying here. Once that happens, you shouldn't be surprised when things go awry, and that's exactly what's happened, and that's why the Me Too movement, I think, is destined to fail, because they refuse to examine their underlying assumptions about what male-female relationships should look like, where the two sides owe something to one another and therefore are not ashamed in the presence of one another. Okay, we'll be back here tomorrow with much, much more. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Mathis Glover, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay, our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Alex Zingaro, audio is mixed by Mike Coromina, hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production, copyright forward publishing 2018. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. 
Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 